You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I am Tom Knezic. Welcome to episode 114. I got the number right. Yeah, I, you Fran? did. You got the number right with it. I'm, I'm just laughing. I'm sorry. The, with the way I do the intro, do I ever talk like that in real life? No. Does that? Uh, no, yeah, I, I was going to say. That <laughs> That's how my, Fran answers the phone when people call the office. He's puts on his his podcaster radio voice and yeah i, I just kind of had to laugh because as i was saying it i was like where does this come from it's yeah. all right i gotta figure out a better opening next time <laughs> but uh but we <clears throat> many times over the course of the podcast we've talked about how everyone belongs in nature and we want more people involved in native plants and we preach inclusivity and uh so today's guest really talks about that and um i was really happy to find someone I've, I've contacted organizations really all over the country, and then we got a recommendation for someone who is right here in our own backyard yeah. that somehow I'd glossed over. So we're really happy to be joined by Renata Barnes, who's uh, from one of our friends at, at Fovos, which is Friends of Hopewell Valley Open Space. Yes. But for the purpose of this conversation is with the New Jersey Outdoor Equity Alliance. So Renata, why don't you introduce yourself and kind of give everyone your background and then lead into to how NJ Outdoor Equity Alliance came about or even what it yeah what it yeah, is what it is gosh thanks so much um tom and fran it's great to meet you guys it's great great to talk to you um well well first of all i want to start off with saying that it's not new jersey outdoor equity oh, okay gotcha Just, that's right that'll be on the quiz later yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm writing i'm taking notes right now that's right uh it's just the outdoor equity alliance wow it is a it's, it's a fantastic um, organization, and I'm so uh, I'm really glad to be a part of them. I'm glad I found it; it found me. Um, so, a little bit about um, the organization. Um, this was initially a um, a project of of Fovos. Uh, Lisa Lisa Wolf, who's the executive director of Fovos, um, got together, which was some friends talking about the same things that I think um, I think Tom had uh, mentioned. Uh, in the intro about, you know, trying to get more people outside, you know, how do we, how do we get more folks outside really enjoying it, really knowing it, uh, really engaging with nature. So uh, Lisa went and shook her network tree and said, Hey guys, you know, let's try and let's try and do this. Let's, let's talk about this. This is a real, this is a real thing. Um, Considering, you know, the issues and the pressure that our environment is under, um, you know, to end the extenuating circumstances, health disparities, pollution, blah, 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 blah. She goes, we really want to get people out. We really want to get people involved. We really want to get people engaged with the environment. How do we do that? You know, you know, first things first. So um, she, uh, along with uh, Mercer County Park Commission, um, uh, Hopo Valley Regional School District, lots of different um 
uh, you know, kind of business people, uh, people who were involved in the environment, really seeing that this was a, this was a problem, especially given out where we were so close to Trenton, uh, but not really seeing a lot of people who, who may be from Trenton a- actually out here really enjoying, enjoying these open spaces. So that's kind of like the impetus of it. Awesome. Uh, awesome. Um, and how did, how did you become a part of, of this organization? Wow. Um, so I had been involved in um, uh, race and diversity equity work within our community. And um, our community, I live out in uh, Hopewell Township. It, it is a predominantly white white community. Uh, and about, oh my gosh, I guess around 2015 or so, a lot of things really started uh, popping off in the greater world uh, around racial issues. And a few of us got to talking and saying like, all right, we need to have a chat. The family needs to get together and have a family dinner and discuss these things. Um, and so uh, we we started Hopewell Valley Race and Diversity, which is now morphed into Hopewell Valley together. And so I was doing that kind of equity work um, in, you know, in the public sector, you know, as just a citizen. And Lisa had come to a couple of meetings. I had met her before. We had been friends. Um, And then this situation, this opportunity rather came up and she said, hey, Renata, blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, okay. I said, all right, well, you know, let's let's go ahead and see what happens. So here I am. Awesome. This is, is, is a very interesting topic for us and it mm-hmm. it's kind of been talked about through through the course of the podcast mm-hmm. over over two years yeah. and it, it it really what's interesting is we get listener feedback and it's a range of feedback to mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. hey you guys have a voice and you're not doing enough about it mm-hmm. to hey this is too political i don't want to hear anything about this which right. you know and and we feel it's our responsibility to respond to all of those because we I'm and, sorry, Tom. I don't. I was going to say a big portion of that is we keep saying how we need. If you listen to, to Dr. Doug Talmy and says we need to have more native plants in our traditional landscapes, whether it's uh, mm-hmm. at, at home or in, in community spaces, and um, and New Jersey is approximately seventy percent white, uh, and then thirty percent of of everything else. But how are you going to ignore thirty percent of the population that isn't? involved in this this mission so that was kind of what it came about is we need more people on board so it's got to be everyone we've been preaching inclusivity and and uh this was one way hey if we want to get more people on the native plant train we need to speak to everyone it can't just be to the people in our industry which up until really we've talked about it before in the nursery and horticulture industry was not just predominantly white; it was predominantly male as well. Mm-hmm. Now that started to balance out. But I'm yeah, going I'm, to a trade show this weekend in in Columbus, Ohio, and I know it's not well, going to be very diverse. Well, you know, it's I've been in the industry 33 years now, and 30 years ago, when you go to a trade show, it was 99 percent white male, um, older mm-hmm. white male, not even younger white male. It was older white male, and that's mm-hmm. changed. And and we definitely see more of a male female mix but it, it's definitely still more white mm-hmm. um it, you know and it's even funny sitting here saying you know like are tom and i doing it justice as white males talking about it but we feel it's our job as we preach inclusivity to mm-hmm. have that conversation and yeah. and mm-hmm. and you know i guess with with the start of the Outdoor Equity Alliance and, and saying about these people and, and 
and wanting to get them more involved. How do you do that? How do you make the change? What are what are how is that process? That that's a that's a that's a great question, um, and the process is is, you know, um, here, here's kind of how we approach it. Is um, you know, I was just listening to what you guys were saying, you know, and and you know, kudos to you guys. This is a difficult topic. Mm-hmm. No two ways about it. There's just no two ways. And again, kudos, big ups, whatever to you guys for not backing down. It is uncomfortable. Absolutely, I get it. A lot of confrontation, both outward and inward. Um, and when I look at that um, and I look at, you know, how, how do we do it? Um, I think the first thing that we did was we looked at the greater need. And the, the greater need was whether we like it or not, not only our world, but our immediate communities are becoming more diverse. Mm-hmm. That's just what it is. Uh, you guys being involved with horticulture, and, you know, seed propagation, et cetera. Um, where, where's the next generation of people like mm-hmm. you going come from? You know, I deal a lot with farmers and agriculture, which I absolutely, boy, talk about falling in love. I, I didn't know, didn't see it coming. And, um, to hear the farmers talk about who's going to be doing this after us mm-hmm. and and what it really means to be connected with the land and what, it, it, you know, sitting back with all these things, to your point, everybody should be out here and doing this. Mm-hmm. Everybody should understand that. So the first thing, that's kind of the first message we say, um, we let people know, like we approach how we do it is we have internship programs that deal mostly with youth. Uh, and our goal is our one of our, our dreams is to expand that um, to include everybody, to make everybody be able to learn about what it means to be a steward, what it means to be in relationship with the earth. So one of the things that I do say is that too often we treat the environment, um, the animals, the earth, etc., as kind of like the uncredited extras to the story of our life. And it's really not that way. And um, one of the greatest lessons that I've learned and I was able to share with our interns this year was looking at dirt and really understanding there's a big difference between dirt and soil and um, just the lessons therein. So the first, I guess the first step is to kind of have that, you know, revelation, if you will, or that understanding yourself and being able to share it. And it's really about getting out there and, and reaching people, like reaching people of color around environmental issues has its challenges because, um, you know, just, just nominally speaking, African-American people, Latino people, uh, and indigenous, uh, indigenous people have very complicated relationships with this land. And I think an understanding that gives us great insight or a greater insight as to how we can engage um, and reconnect people to that. So when we have our internships this year, we did um, an agrihood, which talking about, we talked about sustainability of how does an urban area, uh, specifically an inner city, because let's acknowledge that urban and inner city are very different things. Um, how do you, how are you self-sustaining? How can you do this? 
Where does food fall in this? Where does nature, where does um, being connected, how does that make a difference? We talked about heat deserts. We talked about um, the importance of trees. We talked about how these have real world, um, they're real world tangible as far as both our health and our finances, how neighborhoods are judged. We talked about all of these things with kids. We talked about redlining. We talked about forest bathing. We talked about what it means when you put your hands in the soil, like what that really means. And it was, I mean, it was, it was great talking with, with young people about that and seeing them develop a passion and letting them know that this, the outdoors, the thing that might've been shown to you as something other for others Mm -hmm. is yours. Yeah. It's what, when, when you were talking about that, it made me think about a past experience that I had at another nursery going to visit Anheuser-Busch in St. Louis. Um, and as you're, you're, you're going to the, the brewery, it's, it's inner city. Mm-hmm. And as you get closer, the landscape became more marvelous. And I talked to the, the arborist at, at the, at Anheuser-Busch about that. And they're like, well, this is our community and we want people to feel good about their community. And we do Mm. this, but not by ourselves as a community. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, we did it for certain reasons for, to get everyone more connected, but we felt a change in pride uh, after having done that. So, and Mm. it really, I never really thought about that until you were just saying what you were saying. Um, and I guess the question that leaves me with, do you see personally a, are the views different from someone raised in inner city that doesn't have a connection with nature with nature? Like are you seeing is, – is it a completely different view or a stereotypical view that you know I'm dealing with someone that was raised in the inner city. They've been disconnected from nature. This is what I can expect or is it – is that ever changing? Um, I, I think I think it, I, I want to say that it's a mix a mixed bag, but I will say um, stereotypically. Now let's and let's define the stereotype is no idea where food comes from, afraid of bugs and things like that. There was a lot. Of that. Yeah. We had a lot of that. And um, when we talked, of, we did um, the Agra Hood, uh, and we also did a careers in conservation where our interns worked exclusively at Cadwalder Park in Trenton. And one of the things that we did tell them is that there will be sweat, there will be bugs, it will be hot. It, this isn't the cute. This isn't the cute internship, so don't bring your good clothes. Um, and there was, and we saw, we had the students out in Cadwalder, and um, there were two snakes. And wow, I've never seen, I mean, there was 20 people around me and seriously, two kids, two seconds later, I was alone. <laughs> I, was like, I mean, people just garter snakes. We had a, uh, we had a, a gentleman, um, uh, Ian Gray from, uh, who was a steward at the uh, Mercer County Park Commission was showing, uh, was guiding the students around. They were using iNaturalist to, 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 uh, um, look at identify plants, and he. I mean, these snakes came up and they freaked out. Um, but after he picked it up and they slowly came back, lots of trepidation, lots of timidity, 
And um, he was able to explain why they're good, you know, what they do. And it was really amazing to see people who had an, a particular idea of what it meant to see a snake and danger, danger, and not seeing the, the, the greater importance. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was a common garter snake. Um, of the snake and what it does in their ecosystem. And there were lots of very interesting revelations, especially when you're dealing with with students who aren't always um, exposed to that. Now, with some of our students who had maybe come from, you know, we have kids uh, from about six or seven different schools and programs. So we had some kids from private schools and we had some kids from charter schools and we had some kids from public schools. So you've got a big diversity of um, experiences um, and, you know, knowledge. So it was very interesting. And I think the difficult thing um, is to, is to really um, kind of change somebody's, have them look beyond the fear. Are are you, you, I'm sorry, go ahead. I apologize. Just have them look behind the, beyond the fear, not get so mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, well, I heard that. I'm like, well, listen, let me tell you what it's about. And then let me show you. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you want to make a difference. Do you feel in the interaction that, that you can see a, a difference being made with, with the people that you're able to get to interact and connect? I do. I, I do. And, and how I see this is the number of students who approached us. Now, our Agrihood program was about 14 or 15 weeks, and our careers in conservation was 10 weeks. And I see that in the amount of students who come back and say, oh, Renata, this was so good, or I want to do this again next year, or this was so much great, I want to tell my, this was so great, I want to tell my friends about it. Or is there anything else? Are there other opportunities? So right then we know we ignite, we, we've ignited a passion in, in, in these people who have traditionally, uh, historically, maybe politically, been disenfranchised from the land in that way. And to see them be able to kind of like, I can do this. And I'm like, yes, there is a future for you if you want it to learn about what it means to work in the environment. And if anything else, I mean, yeah, we have got great visions. I love for them all to be farmers or, or to be ecologists or, or ecological scientists. But if they're just better citizens, if they can grow their own food, uh, if they can appreciate what it means to have fresh food, if they can look at a tree and look at a bird and look at a native plant and not think, oh, it's a weed, it's in my way. But see, like, that's a really beautiful thing. That's progress. That's a change in spirit. That's a change in your own personal health. Yeah. Yeah. Renata, you mentioned that over over time, people have become Mm -hmm. like disenfranchised in nature and the outdoors. Can you explain some of the things that led to that disenfranchise disenfranchisement? A word? I I, I think so. Right. Disenfranchisement. (laughs) Way too many. (laughs) I'm with you. Um, there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of different reasons for disenfranchisement. Um, I mean, we can all agree that historically, um, especially with the three groups, the three marginalized groups that I mentioned before, African Americans, Latino, uh, and Indigenous citizens, um, there is a very complicated and very deliberate political. Um, you know, there was a you know a, a 
things that happen to disenfranchise these particular people from the land. Um, and, you know, we can talk about that. But if we look a little further, um, we can also look at people who are differently abled. We can look at the elderly. We can look at um, immigrants. There's so many there's so many different people whose relationships with the land are are stunted because of the lack of access. And that is definitely something that uh, that's definitely uh, on the heart of Fovos. Uh, and that was part of their impetus for starting the OEA. And this is definitely um, a driver for what we do. And not only we kind of kind of we kind of have like a three tiered um, mission, very broadly speaking, is to make the outdoor spaces more welcoming uh, to people of color, marginalized people, everybody, people who don't see or feel that the outside is really a place for them. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we want to create a spirit of stewardship, of responsibility for the outside, caring for it. And thirdly, we really want to create avenues and pathways so that people, you know, the aforementioned people who have been disenfranchised and not really been encouraged to be involved in, 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 uh, in nature and the environment uh, on the vocational level, we want to create avenues that do that, which is why we have our internship programs, which is why we partner with, you know, the Park Commission, um, educational uh, institutions, uh, larger parks and granting um, institutions that will, hey, we want to get make sure that there's more Latino kids or more African-American kids or more kids with disabilities or who are who are um, intellectually, you know, intellectual diversity in this thing. There really is a place for everybody. So when I look at disenfranchisement, I think that there's that. And also, I think that there is just almost a self-imposed disenfranchisement. When only when when, only, when people only think of the outdoors is, you know, I'm going to go play in a ball field or mow my yard. That's their interaction. That's very small. Uh, I think it's I think it's environmentally detrimental, um, and I think that we miss so much of what nature has to give us, which is there's something to be said for taking a walk in the woods. The uh, an eye opener for. For me and my fiance last – it was probably about this time last year. We were at Tyler State Park in Newtown, Pennsylvania. Mm. And it, Love that park. That is a fantastic park. And, Love and it. What I, what I feel that that park got right, and I didn't realize it till that day, was how different communities interact differently with that park. What it means to me means something differently to someone else. And mm -hmm. I was – like it was funny. We realized that – like pretty early on, we were one of the few couples speaking English, um, mm. and I was – which – and my fiance is Polish, so it's like even <laughs> – like she's like, well, I don't even have to speak English. You may be the only one. Um, <laughs> but we were just watching how everyone was utilizing the park differently. There were people there that were just to, to be a part of the water and fish and get in the water. Mm -hmm. There were families that were using the grills and, and putting hammocks up and spending the day as a family – together in nature and there were people going for walks and it was it, so many different aspects and it, it was getting used in so many different ways and and all differently than how i would would do it so i, I would imagine that to be successful be successful that certain natural areas have to do be minded of that as well to to make it welcoming welcoming to all communities rather than just be yeah. an open space 
Yeah, I mean, and you know, I think that just diversity in those spaces. I mean, the way that one would be on a trail or, a, or, or in a park is very different, um, I think, from where how someone would utilize a preserve. Um, there's different ways of learning uh, to interact with nature. And I think that, you know, that's always, that's contingent on what space that you're in. Uh, but the bigger thing there is that letting everybody know that you can be in this space. This is a space for you. Um, and encouraging people to really explore, um, no matter who you are, uh, no matter what race or ethnicity or creed you come from, to explore a deeper relationship with what it means to be a partner with the earth, with the environment. And um, a lot of people, um, they don't know that. There's a lot of fear. I mean, I don't think Jurassic Park and the woods and jungles are doing <laughs> us a lot of favors right now. Um, you know, um, so, I mean, a lot of fear about what is out there. Um, and that everything that's out there that, I don't know, you may not necessarily need to be touching or looking for doesn't make it bad. You, you know, it doesn't make it bad. You've touched on really key points that are all very important, like education and stewardship. Mm -hmm. Are there mm -hmm. any other key points that you would throw in that you feel are just as important along with those? Yeah, I probably do, but I'm hoping that in the court. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Let me shift gears a little bit because you mentioned something earlier, and it, I, I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget. Okay. And we were talking about uh, politically being disenfranchised with the land, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. I know that we've talked with other – like Samuel Thayer, mm -hmm. the uh, International mm -hmm. Forager, talks about that a lot mm -hmm. um, and the right to to be able to eat off the land and, and, mm -hmm. and use the land. Um what role does the government play today in changing that? Um, like you're, you're talking about a lot of great nonprofits, but mm -hmm. politically, how, do, how can the government help change that? And are they or do you have – is does your group approach politicians about changing things? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I think eventually um, we would certainly like to be able to be influential as far as politically. Um, but right now – and I, I – if, if I may, I think that that's also kind of par for the course when you're involved uh, in environmental things, whether you mean to or not, you find yourself in a political arena. Um, um, I would love to, I would love for the government, to, and I'm talking even the local government, I'm not even thinking about the feds, but just the local government to take a good look at what it means to um, support communities that are willing to be as self-sustaining as possible. Um, when you look at agri agriculture, I'm sure you know the stats, but um, and I'm sure your listeners do too. So I'll gratuitously spit them out, folks, and you guys can <laughs> check me. But, um, you know, like you look at our, our farmland, you know, 99% of that is owned by white farmers and big agra. And that really cuts out the small farmer. There's uh, in our agrihood this year, our agrihood internship, we um, used only local farmers and we used some, we used uh, Capital City Farm in Trenton, Howe Living History Farm uh, in Lambertville. Um, and those are our state, are run by the county um, and they were great, kind of great places to go and, um, and to see what agriculture looks like on a smaller scale, mm -hmm. but they are very involved with, you know, uh, working with food pantries and other um, 
groups that deal specifically with food insecurity. And then we went to smaller farmers. We went to small local farmers. There's a woman uh, right here in Pennington. Her name is Tamia McQueen. Um, She has a 42-acre farm, black woman, raised in Detroit. And I always laugh at her. I'm like, wow, if they could see you now, right right from the hood to the field. Um, She's a master gardener. She uh, has a 42-acre farm that she runs by herself. Uh, Chickens, geese, ducks, turkeys, and sheep. Uh, She processes these all by herself. This is her thing. She's very committed to raising them ethically. But this woman has to have a bunch of other income streams in order to make this profitable. Um, So when we talk about people supporting and eating local, I'm like, this is what it looks like. Mm -hmm. This is who you're supporting. Um, Did I forgot the question? (laughs) 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 Did I make a sharp laugh? No, no. I think we were were talking. uh, So, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But so. You know, when I look at that and I look at when when you look at the stats, you know, that 99 percent and that one percent means everybody else. You look in the beginning of the uh, of the not this past century, but the one before that um, there were what uh, I think it was 18 percent of the farmers were African-American. And now what is it? Point four, point one four, something really small. This affects the whole community. This affects um, not just that community back then, but, you know, communities going forward, that type of disenfranchisement. And then I think what was it last May, the USDA came out and saying, well, guys, we're really sorry. We've been engaged in decades long um, processes and behaviors that are made to disenfranchise farmers of color and specific African-American and Latino farmers from getting loans and getting grants and getting equipment and all this getting land and all this, that, and the other, that's deliberate. So it's like, how do you, you know, they came out and said that, how do you do that? My hope, and I know that the USDA is making some strides towards that, um, but is is we need to make up that difference. We need to create some equity there. You know, Bill Gates and Big Agra, they can't have it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they can't have they 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 can't have it all. And I think now with COVID, I mean, I don't know what you guys saw, but I mean, come on, you go into the, you know, you go into the supermarket. I'm like, seriously, all the cornflakes are gone. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I, I can't even get Wheatina. Who eats that? You know, I couldn't even get it, you know, um, realizing how much we need to be able to depend on our own, ourselves, to feed ourselves, to feed ourselves mm-hmm. yeah. and our communities and what that means. And so when I think about what the government can do, and I'm like, you need to really create some incentives to grow our agricultural industry. Not, you know, not can't give it all to Monsanto. Let's really talk about these things. Let's talk, let's talk about ethical practices or organic growing, no-till policies. Let's talk about why all this affects our um, our community, why our communities, why we need this, why self-sustaining can for, on a smaller level can spread to a bigger level. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it, that, yeah, it, that kind of maybe 
reflect back to when we had Dr. Enrique Sala on from National Geographic was saying, I don't even know that we need to grow more food. We need to stop being so wasteful with yeah. with, Absolutely. with with how that food is managed. Yeah. That Absolutely. there's there's definitely enough. And it made me think of you as well with when we were talking about venison. Like you can't sell Oh legally. yeah, you, yeah, legally you can't sell uh game meats in yeah. in the United States or in New Jersey I think across most mm-hmm. of the United States um now farm raised venison you can yeah. but okay. not uh not wild harvested yeah mm. yeah but and friend you just mentioned with uh like how wasteful we are it's some of that reflection um when you see how wasteful we are comes when you have like a little backyard garden and uh I just harvest my first tooth well, first two like beefsteak tomatoes of the year, and they've got cracks in them, and there's like a little insect hole in them. And I'm still really proud of them, and we're going to eat them. But if I went to the grocery store traditionally and saw that, oh, there's no way that I'm not going to pick those ones. I'm going to pick the perfect ones that are nice and shiny and super red and and all that. So when you have that connection with your your food, with when you're growing it yourself, you gain some more. Um, I'm searching for the right word. I guess insight on insight, but it's a little. I mean, that's all a part yeah. of education. I know connection. We've, we've yeah. talked about this before, yeah. where uh, one of the local big orchards that that no longer exists in New Jersey was kind of educating us, saying, you know, the best tasting apples, some of the best tasting apples you can get, are in the state of New Jersey because the flavor comes from the soil. Mm-hmm. He goes, but they're not the because of the climate. They're not the best looking apples, and you could fill up the supermarket, and no one would touch them because they <laughs> want that beautiful looking apple that comes from the the northwest. But it's nowhere near as flavorful as you know, and that's all marketing and and education. Oh, gentlemen, the analogies in that are just endless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just endless. Yeah, the ugly food movement, the ugly, ugly vegetable movement. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We we've we've fallen sway to that. And I think it's I think it's been it's proven very detrimental um, on so many levels. Waste is a big issue. How, how do you guys how have you spoken about that in the past? We we kind of talked about it as far as not food, but as far as even like to to turn it upon ourselves with what we could do better here, like one of the biggest things that concerns us is nursery plastics. Mm-hmm. That that so much of what we do isn't recycle. Uh, yeah, it's, the, the it's product's not recyclable. Plastic reliant, and then it's just ending up in a, a landfill someplace. Mm. So, and that's a lot of plastic. And you can reuse some of them, but then there's health. Uh, you know, like plant like health issues. Plant health issues. Um, reusing some of the things. So we we really mm-hmm. look at that, and it's. You know, like where we said you don't need to grow more food, you just have to be less wasteful. We look at it here where it's we don't have to have more space and grow more plants. We need to just be better at what we do and mm-hmm. and grow a healthier plant, which would in turn make everything better. Mm-hmm. But it's we, – we try to, to throw that on us. I don't know that we've really discussed food waste no, on no, the podcast. No, not on the podcast at least. Well, I'm sure we've had some some office discussions and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But nothing that comes to mind. Yeah, waste is a really interesting um is a really interesting subject uh, around the issues of of food um and uh, around the issues of access and mm-hmm. and equity even. When you look at that, I mean I think a really interesting study was done and I wish I knew the um 
Uh, you guys can Google it. There was a study where they looked at waste in three different types of neighborhoods, mm-hmm. an affluent one, uh, a middle class or in that middle, that middle area working class, and then a poor neighborhood. Um, and it's really interesting to see who had the most waste, what the waste was. And um, the idea that the, the idea that waste is waste can be a barometer of how we gauge our entitlement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually what it, you know, what is important, who wastes what, who wastes more food speaks to who has more access to it mm-hmm. and the kind of food that they're wasting. And I believe the study found that in poorer neighborhoods, there was less food waste in more affluent neighborhoods. There was more food waste and a more varied mm-hmm. amount of what that waste was. Yeah, and it, I think the way I think it was something like the waste was, um, you know, someone takes a bite of something and says, "I don't like it. I don't want it. Want it." And I'm sure you guys understand there's a huge problem with that when it comes to things like produce. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna have a smoothie every day, and you know, you've got you know four pounds of vegetables, you know, <laughs> dying in your vegetable bin in the refrigerator. Um, and that's also just using that as a segue. That's something that we we want to deal with. We want to contend with um, when we're when we're introducing the idea of agrihoods um, to some of our to some of our students in our inter- interns in in urban and inner city areas. Is how to utilize these. Oh, we you know everybody should have fresh produce, but if they don't know how to cook them because you know bird's eye or Healthy choice has been doing that for you your whole life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do how do I yeah. eat this? What does that mean? And I think it's that's part of being responsible in our environment. But our entitlement, I believe, and that's all of us on many different levels, kind of almost we we kind of use the I we kind of use that entitlement, that feeling to dismiss the reality that we have a responsibility mm-hmm. for the things that we have. We don't do that. It's, um, you know, I always try to relate some of this stuff to my own experiences, and I filter a lot of how I feel about this through my fiance, who grew up on a small farm in communist Poland, and <clears throat> they're talking about certain foods that she eats, and she's like, well, you couldn't be wasteful. Like, we were talking about, like, she had me try head cheese, <laughs> mm-hmm. and she was like, you know, and she goes, this is a delicacy to us, you know, and it's, you you had to use every single part right. of everything you had because there wasn't enough, and, and you couldn't right. be wasteful, and, and it's something that, you know, I kind of take for granted, you know, because yeah. I haven't been in that situation. Right. Um, and, and, you know, anything that's, you know, any one of them could be any one of us and yeah. maybe any one of us sometime soon. And so I, I will have to take a hard pass on that head cheese. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I did try it. It was, you know, it's. it's okay. It, it's okay, friend. You don't have to say it. <laughs> no, I actually liked it. It's, you know, if, if you can get past the name and how it looks, like, and, and she told me what it was before I ate it as well. So I was like, okay. But then I ate it and I'm like, actually, it's, it was pretty good. Like I, we, we bought, I think like a half a pound and, and it got finished. Ooh. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <that> was, <laughs> <laughs> but I even see it here in the nursery where we have some farmers here and uh, that work here and people that have their own farms and, and a lot of our employees had a farm, like they, they do some farming on mm-hmm. the property. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. 
I feel nothing ever gets wasted if you grew too much at your own place and you could bring it here, put it in the back room, and it's gone by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Or if you're looking for something, uh, you know, a certain plant, like a certain yeah. uh, herb or something like that, you could just put a word out and you, mm-hmm. you know, you get it. So it's, I, I yeah. put back bags of peppers. I've taken plenty of bags of food, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's something uh, that we should talk about is. In the nursery industry, including our nursery, you have uh, a heavy lean on uh, Hispanic labor, and most of, mm. in our case, most of it, most of the folks that we have working here, uh, many of them have been here for a long time, but a lot of them mm. live in Trenton, mm. and they have a lot of people living in a small space, uh, mul- sometimes multiple families living in like a single family dwelling, and this is a way that, like I mentioned, I'm just having my first tomatoes. I can't wait to be able to be flush with all this stuff and bring it in. My brother does it, a few people in our office, because you know that, like we talked about before, sometimes you don't have access to fresh food, and especially fruits and veggies, where some of these folks are living. So it's a way that we can give back in a way. Um, and we even started a – it's not as active at this year, Fran. I'll, I'll mention that. We are head community gardener at our nursery. Retired. Uh, retired. <laughs> so uh, it's mostly – corn that one of our employees grows and then they use it and they harvest it and make uh, elote and then use the leaves for tamale wrappers but um we have a little community garden here too but it's it's makes us feel good that we're able to do that but uh i don't know if it's making a huge difference i'll be honest too i hadn't even thought about not really knowing what to do with with that fresh food that yeah and until you mentioned it renata that hadn't even I hadn't even realized that. And, and I think there's so many, so many options to do it. And I think, you know, if you're talking about equity and access, if you're, you're, you're looking at, if you're looking at it from where I'm standing, you know, I had a, I had a, a conversation with a woman today that we're helping, we're hoping to work with in the future. And um, just talking about teaching people what to do with these. Mm-hmm. With, with fresh, with fresh, um, with fresh produce, um, and even like you know, freshly a place that butchers their own meat or something. Mm-hmm. That's a great place. That 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 gives you opportunity to do so many things. Most of all, to explore how we can eat this. That gives you access to ethnic different differences, ethnic mm-hmm. experiences as far as food is concerned, which builds community, which brings people together. Um, what with um, with the Hopo Valley Race and, and Diversity or Hopo Valley Together and some of the other groups that when we would talk about these equity issues um, as far as our community involvement was concerned, we always started out those meetings with a meal. We always started out, we ate at the table, uh, eating with someone, learning what food is, what's the origin of this. It tells stories. It brings people together. Um, it's disarming. It gives you an opportunity to talk about more difficult things, which is exactly what we were in that space to talk about. Mm-hmm. And there was there's something about bringing things together. So when I when I'm thinking about what you guys are saying, you know, bringing things and people and food and bringing all these things together, that is an amazing place to start to build real community, mm-hmm. yeah. to build yeah. real relationships besides the nominal things. And to be able to set a stage or, you know, till the soil um, for a, a more a more in-depth conversation 
around issues that are so specific to these groups of people. What are some for to accomplish your mission? We and I'm sure we've touched on a lot of them. What are some of your bigger obstacles that you face um, in trying to accomplish what what you would like to accomplish? Yeah, I think you you touched on it earlier in the conversation. I think the biggest obstacle is probably perception of what it means to be involved with the environment. You know, I always try to let people know. I said, it's not all tie-dyes and hemp fabric and lava lamps and stuff. It is, you know, so before, you know, before you get all, you know, all a hippie on me. And I love, I love that stuff, but um, that's not what it is. Um, and I think that, I, I think that there's also, we, we've gotten so concerned about um, product, I'm going to go into a particular field or pursue an educational endeavor that's going to have this particular payoff and not understanding or and not even fathoming really that someone, say a farmer or environmentalist or a conservationist or a preservationist, what they do is so important in the long run. Um, and I think changing that perception uh, and also looking at, you know, dealing again with um, with both working in forestry and working in agriculture is the perception of people of color in these industries. Um, a couple of years, a uh, couple of years, actually last year for Juneteenth here in Trenton it was for the inaugural celebration. We got together a program uh, on the Black Cowboys and um, I did this. You know, I dove deep um, and, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a good researcher, uh, but I had to call in my friends uh, for some help. And one of the things that I learned was that um, the Buffalo Soldiers were some of the first uh, National Park Rangers. Hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. Right. And that they after the Civil War, that a lot of uh, a lot of them were used to in, in some of the early um, the early uh, the early parks and that that hat that Smokey the Bear wears is actually theirs. Wow. That they took that that Stetson hat and they they morphed it by, I think, pinching the top and flattening the front because a lot of times they would be like they all they were also the, the soldiers were also the guards or the the rangers that were along the Panama Canal and it was mm-hmm. tropical. And there's also some rather tropical places along the, the southern coasts and of this country. And it would rain and they use that so the water would come off the hat and not into their face. Mm-hmm. So that was something very interesting. But you don't know that. You yeah. don't know that. A lot of people don't know that. Um, and that was such a that was such a revelation. And I was able to bring all of that along with the history of um, the black cowboys, what the word cowboys really means, that it really is a derogatory term. And just to see people, oh, my God, I didn't know we were out west. I didn't know this, that and the other. And I'm like, yes, we were always here. And so the perceptions when people when people can see themselves somewhere, it changes how they see that place. Mm-hmm. They see themselves in a national park in Yosemite, in Acadia, in the Grand Canyon, in Carlsbad, in the Painted Desert, wherever else, the Badlands. They see themselves there because I'm like, we were here. Mm. 
and even in 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 agriculture which is even a a very a, a more tender subject is letting people know that the depth of the african american experience in this country doesn't rest in the slave experience and it's hard to get people to see that to not to I don't want to work out in the field. It's like you know I'm feeling all antebellum or whatever, and I'm like we I know right. We have always been when when they came to take the slaves um, when they came to take the Africans um, to the the New World. Um, they knew exactly where they were going. They wanted people from an 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 agricultural uh, community, a society. They knew exactly where they. Were. And that is why they took people from the Gold Coast, Cote d'Ivoire, Nigeria, Ghana, Benin, all those places, because they were farmers. They knew about the land. Mm. So getting people to see that before we were slaves or before we, we became this, this is where we were. And that's, there's, there's a richness there. And that we, you know, the contributions, building the building this country, even though it was forced, but there's there's pride to be gleaned from that. There's strength to be gleaned from that. So many um, African Americans went on to farm and to be successful at it, uh, even though they couldn't have access. They didn't have access to land. They didn't have access to education. A lot of them taught one another, and they have the traditions that have been passed by down to them. There's lots of things. That's all con. That there, there's so much involved with that. But changing that perception, changing that perception that, that that's all, that's the only African American experience in the land, and I, I that is difficult. And perception is a, at least in my personal opinion, is can be a difficult thing to change because. You know, everyone's on different places of their own personal journeys with with nature. The important thing being is to start that journey mm-hmm. or to help start. And and Tom and I feel I, I know I don't want to speak for you, but I, I guess I can saying we both feel we have an obligation to help educate. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. In that to to get people to take that journey and to know, regardless of what stage you're on in that journey, it's okay. You know, it's just to take the journey, and that process is always ongoing if you were to ask me two years ago like like realizing today all right i'm not above nature i'm a part of nature we're, right. we're all part of this together mm-hmm. did i did i realize i've been doing this for a long time did i realize that two years ago before we started this podcast maybe but not at the depth that that i realize it today mm-hmm. um and i feel Having come to that awareness, we have the obligation to help others come to that awareness um, of being a part of that. So I, I guess my question for you as we talk about this, what are some things that Tom and I can do to help this process? What are some things that we can do to, to be a better part of this? I guess when I think about it, it's like go out and tell people, make connections. I don't think diversity works. Uh, unless you start diversifying your own life, mm-hmm. unless it starts to show up in your life. So I say go and tell somebody, go, go somewhere where you haven't gone, go, go to the, go to the, the, go to the Mexican grocery store and ask questions about, Hey, I've never seen this before. What is this? How can I use this? How can I grow this? Mm-hmm. What does this plant look like? 
um, go to go to the Indian store and do the same thing and then let people know where you are and invite them to be a part of what you're doing mm-hmm. and then go be a part of what they're doing. Widening your circle, widening your world. I think that's a great, um, a great way to start. Um, if there is, you know, I would say to speaking to you guys in specific, I'm like, if there is, um, I don't know, like a, uh, a Latino gardening uh, club that's like, oh, everybody's welcome. Show up. Mm-hmm. Show up and show up not as a like, oh, I know it all, but show as I want to learn. I want to learn with you. Mm-hmm. That will open up so many avenues for you, not only personally, but also where your business is concerned. Yeah. You know, things like that. I don't even know um, if I look at it from a business standpoint, just more mm-hmm. like I know we're doing this mm-hmm. for work, but it, it's more of a mm-hmm. personal standpoint, more of a like a bigger picture standpoint, I, I right. think. Yeah. And it's right. from from a business standpoint, I glossed over this a little bit earlier, but um, there's a woman named Rue Map who I think lives on the West Coast, and she helped found an organization called uh, Outdoor Afro, which has yes. uh, places all over the country. And I've sent her a couple of invitations to come on here. I haven't heard anything back yet, but she has a standing invite to come on whenever she wants. But she, in another podcast I'd heard with her, she had said when they look to partner with different organizations, they usually just go to their website and look at who is involved in upper management at the uh, mm-hmm. at that uh, organization and to see if they're already embracing some diversity or is it just, a, again, a bunch of white people that are right. at the top. And I think that's across agriculture and horticulture. That's been pervasive. You look at our organizational chart. It's all the, the you look at our management team. It's pretty even male to female, but we're all white people. And then you look mm-hmm. down, the. that's where it starts to become uh, heavily Hispanic once you get into the regular mm-hmm. labor. And mm-hmm. um, that's something, but I don't, it's one of those things I don't know exactly how to address. Well, I mean, I think that there, I, I think there are real ways to do that, and I think first of all, acknowledging it. Yeah. And um, I think acknowledging that, and just saying that, just what we had said earlier in the program, it's like, where do you think the future of your industry is going to be? Who do you yeah. think is really when you look at? I mean, I believe that the figures are um, in either twenty thirty four or twenty fifty. Um, in New Jersey in particular, the overwhelming majority are going to be people of color. And that's not 51%. We're up in the upper 60s. Yeah. So it's like, who do you think is are going to be your colleagues then? Yeah. Who, who are the people you're going to be recruiting into your industry? Mm-hmm. And it's like, you want to get ahead of that curve. Oh, yeah. yeah. You want to get ahead of that because you want to be able to have a great representation of what it means to be in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And also you want to be able to present um, this is what our future looks like. Mm-hmm. This is what we are. There is so much to glean. There's so much to glean from other people. You know, and the the, the issue of, of equity, I was sharing with a friend, you know, equity is not pie. Mm-hmm. It's not pie. There's enough. There's enough room for everybody. And, you know, I'm a New Yorker, and one of the, the things that used to tick me off was when you go on the subway you're that the lady with 8,000 bags who like shoves them in the seat that no one can sit there. Or you have the guy who just spreads his legs and just takes up all the room. And you're looking like, I'd really like to sit down. And they kind of give you that. Don't even think about coming over here. (laughs) 
though, you you know, it's packed and you're tired and you go over to any one of those people um, because it's your right to sit there. But what they do is they make you feel very bad for mm-hmm. inconveniencing them. And so they spend, you know, you spend the whole the whole trip crushed up against the thing, not wanting to touch them. And I'm like, there's a difference between making room mm-hmm. and creating a space. Yeah. And so if making room means that I am going to give you space that's already here, mm-hmm. does that mean perhaps you have more than you should? You're taking up more space than you should. Mm-hmm as opposed to creating a space. I'm like, that's an invitation in my mind for segregation. Oh, that's great. We're going to create a little space for you right here. It's going to look just like ours. When what is needed is we need to be at the same table. Mm -hmm. Everybody's needs need to be under the table. So making room means that everybody else is adjusting so everybody can fit. And that, in my mind, is the right thing. Yeah. It, it's really easy to make excuses to say – like we could say, well, we really haven't had any interest for, for anyone to come. But mm-hmm. that's right. such a horrible way to look at it because you can easily say, well, what did we do to create interest? Yeah. yeah. You know, did we and do enough um, to – That was actually what I was going to hit on next is when I do a lot of our hiring for the nursery. So I'll put up job postings in on Indeed primarily, a couple college boards. and uh, But when I go and visit college classes for horticulture, agriculture – um, sustainability, environmental fields, the lack of diversity appears there too. Um, I know mm. just from when I put up job postings, uh, now it's hard to tell because, but you can sometimes tell through names, but there appears to be a lack of diversity mm. in who applies for positions in, in our field. Um, and I'm just thinking, well, maybe I'm just not putting him in the right places to get, because at the end of the day, we're trying to get a real quality applicant who can bring a variety of experiences and a, sometimes a different background and different way of thinking to the problems that we have and that mm-hmm. we're trying to solve at the nursery. And if we're always looking in the same place, maybe we're not going to find right. – we're always going to find the same answer. So, right. You know, I, I say, you know, go, go tap the HBCUs. Go to some of the historically yeah. black colleges and universities and say, hey, listen, I was just on the Tuskegee site a couple of days ago um, looking at their agricultural and their forestry program. I did the same with North Carolina. I, did this, I was looking at Morgan State. I was looking around to see what these programs looked like, how comprehensive they were. Um, when we started our careers in conservation, we had a woman named um, Shanasia Silver, Silver, Silver. Um, from the National Park, um, the National Park Service, young black girl, um, really into this, really excited about. And she did the intro to our internship because I wanted the kids to see the black and brown kids and actually all the kids to see what the face that there are other faces than just white faces mm-hmm. who were very committed to this work. Uh, and there they are out there. It's definitely hard to find. And I think like in your industry specifically, you know, you've got the issue of, of land ownership. Mm-hmm. You've got to own some land to have a nursery. Yep. And um, that's, you know, that's that's daunting for a lot of people. But I think that if you go and approach um, lot, you know, HBCUs and many other programs that I believe are out there. Oh, my gosh. I uh, Green Latinos is one. Um 
Uh, I saw uh, a few others. I just was compiling a list of groups that I was looking at. Um, Manners, I think it's minorities in agriculture. I think it's M-A-N-R-R-S. I think that's the acronym. Um, Amazing, amazing collegiate programs with people who are really in it. Every year I do the Naturally Latinos um, Conference. Um, So many people involved in working for sustainability organizations and creating uh, neighborhoods and coalitions um, with people of color who are looking for people like you will say, hey, let's work together. Let's let's do this. Let's see what we can do to make the 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 nursery, uh, the nursery industry less plastic. Mm -hmm. Who's an engineer who's working in textiles? There's so much around this. Um, and that you guys even brought that up. That is, that's an amazing thing. We need to work with somebody who wants to work with us so we can either find a, a, a something that's biodegradable, something that uh, we can either dispose of um, that is not going to be detrimental. And that, that's a great project for somebody mm-hmm. to work on. Yeah. And yeah. the more people, the more people, the more kinds of people that you have involved in that, I think the sooner you'll come to a solution. Mm-hmm. And we need that. We, we need we need everyone for for all of this. Like we we look at it just we need active stewards for everything. Yes. If you were if you were to do a restoration in a community that doesn't understand or care about that restoration, then there's there's almost no point to it. If if they don't become active participants or stewards in it, like mm-hmm. we need everyone to be a part of this for te- for things to change. Yeah, and absolutely. So, and we we want to actively be part of that change. So we're I'm learning so much today from this conversation, and this is what I was hoping. Oh yeah, yeah. Like like more. I, I'm forgetting that we're recording this for people to actually listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm 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 enjoying this conversation so much. So to, to pivot a little bit back to the Outdoor Equity Alliance, who can join the Outdoor Equity Alliance? And I don't mean that so much as as a, a personal thing, but is it mainly mm-hmm. for businesses? Is it for for schools? Is it or is it just uh, for individuals? It is for everybody. It is for everybody. Um, uh, let me see. Um, everybody can be a part of it. Um, we, what we do is we have, you know, we, we do, we have a couple of things that we do. We have Juneteenth and how we do, how we invite people to come alongside of us is come join us and come join the OEA team. Uh, Mr. T was, was on our, our newsletter for a while. Um, <laughs> you know, like I pity the fool who doesn't join the OEA. Or <laughs> Um, is having people come and join us. Um, you know, obviously we're nonprofit, so you know, write us a check, keeps us moving. Mm-hmm. But to sh- to show up at some of our events, our Juneteenth, you know, we we sent that out. People came to support the black. We did a black farmers market this year where we highlighted farmers of color um, and what they do. Chicken farmers. Tamia was there. There was a woman. Uh, a, a Nigerian woman who lives in uh, Hunterdon County, uh, who's got this amazing garden uh, outside Flemington, and they've utilized her uh, what she does to um, 
um, to kind of um, subsidize some of the some of their eating, some of their programs there uh, that that where they give food out. Uh, she does an amazing work. Same woman does an amazing work in Nigeria, teaching lepers how to grow food so that they can support themselves. So there's um, some amazing people. Um, there's a guy who does um, aqua uh, aquaponics hydroponics sorry hydroponics out here so how we can eat healthy when it's winter and we really can't access the ground um so people like that our partners students schools organizations can come alongside us and say we want to be a part of the AT, the oea team mm-hmm. and so we have you know you show up um you show up and help us kind of uh create um some of our programs let's talk about you know, what do you guys see? Really gleaning a lot from the people who interact with us. Tom, what do you think? I got a shirt idea for you. Okay. How about <laughs> we do uh, in our store? Uh, so we have a a store where a hundred percent of the profit profits from all the products go to nonprofit organizations. We either mm-hmm. save up and 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 give a lump sum, or certain shirts benefit certain organizations. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we have like like plant native plants. What if we have one that says nature is for everyone and the proceeds, mm-hmm. yeah, the proceeds like goes to the OEA. Well, it's funny because our slogan is, and you know what I'll do is I'll, I'll get with uh, Lisa Wolf and we'll send you guys t-shirts. It's OEA. Our, our slogan is nature for all. Oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. I like that. That's it's awesome. Nature for all. So, um, yeah, we, we love, like, we'd love that any, any type of, of support. We actually had a really cool t-shirt for um, our agrihood. It was the cityscape, the skyline of Trenton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in the foreground was a field, like a, a, a field of corn or wheat or mm-hmm. something like that, um, to kind of bring that together, um, to bring those two together. So, yeah, we um, so if anyone's interested, please check out our website, the Outdoor Equity Alliance. Just just to let you know, it is under construction. We are redesigning our website. Uh, That's what we've got for now. Everybody can always, you know, you can reach out to me um, and our team uh, if you want more information. Uh, I seem to be doing a lot of speaking places. So um, I'm around talking about this. Awesome. Um, talking about this stuff too and we've got great events we have um i told you about the black cowboys and i did tell you we did have the um the black farmers market we had last year we had our first kwanzaa event that focused on agriculture and um not you know not just black farmers but the local farmers and it was absolutely amazing we had about six uh local farmers plus we had um Ujima Farming, uh, Ujima Farm Cooperative Farming Collective, uh, or Ujima Seeds, come up from Maryland, and they propagate um, culturally um, significant seeds from the African diaspora and other uh, other diasporas. And they did a seed launch, and that was how we based our Kwanzaa off of that. And it was absolutely amazing. Um, for I don't think the people in in the in Hopewell Township, and we had other people. Olivia Glenn was there, uh, Jay Watson was there, um, uh, Sean Jackson from Isles had joined us on that. Um, you know, in the midst of Omicron, everybody was masked up, and they had an opportunity to see 
what farmers, who their local farmers were. Mm-hmm. And I had gotten so many comments on comments. I'm like, we're not, I didn't, I didn't understand that. And we had a lot of people of color represented there and people really kind of had the clutch, the pearls experience. Like, wow. So that's some of the stuff that we do. We're excited to do Kwanzaa again. We hope to use it as a, a fundraiser. I'd love for you guys to come mm-hmm. to come up and join us. Oh, I it would love that. And for, I will take you folks, up on that. Uh, we have who listen who are from New Jersey. Where do you hold uh-huh. a lot of these events? Um, well, you know, we we are a group with without a home, but we've got great friends. So this uh, our Kwanzaa event was held at uh, the Glenmore Barn in Hopewell, mm-hmm. Glenmore oh. Farm in Hopewell. Really good friends of ours who are really supportive of this work. So you can check them out online. Our, our let me see the. Black Cowboys was held at one of our partners is the, the Mercer County Park Commission mm-hmm. at the Mercer County Stables, mm-hmm. uh, where we had over 200 people come and check out the Crazy Faith Riders from Plainfield. Amazing group of Black Cowboys. Um, the uh, Black Farmers Market was held in Trenton at um, Mill Hill Park. So a lot of what we do is... Um, we we really do believe that our our capital and the community there has been neglected a lot by a lot of these organizations. So we focus our work um, on the citizens, the entities around Trenton, and also because we live right there. You know, Trenton is like ten minutes from where a lot of us live, um, and so we we focus a lot of work there. Hence, why we are very much involved with what's happening in Cadwalder Park, uh, really trying to bring up that particular community. There's good stuff happening, people. And these are conversations that just need to be had. And this is work that needs to be done. So it, what, in your opinion, what, what does a world look like where, where you and the Outdoor Equity Alliance can finally say, mission accomplished? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think it looks... I. I think it looks um, it looks like a pl- it look it, mm, wow let me let me let me just back that up that world would look to me like a place where um, there would be free access to everything people would have access and not not have to be um, kind of encumbered by perceptions in the past I think that um, decent food good food. Um, would be available anywhere, that there would be a prioritizing of how we live and move in our environment. And there would be equity when it comes to representing um, who does what in the environmental field, that the the environmental field would be as varied as the environment itself. I would love to see that. That's, That's something I would like to see in my lifetime. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, we we got our work cut out for us, gentlemen. <laughs> we do, we do. Yeah. Are yeah, there do. other organizations like the Outdoor Equity Alliance uh, across the country? Because we have listeners from all over the place. Are there other organizations you know of? Yeah, you know that there are. And I and and sadly, um, because I've I've done so much work for this, I I can't. Um, I can't name them right off. I've certainly seen them in my research, trying to glean resources and connection. Um, But I will say that the difficulty is getting kind of a a network of these groups together. It's very, very, uh, it's very difficult because 
you know, larger groups are doing their version of this. And the reason I think a group like the Outdoor Equity Alliance uh, or any group that does um, <clears throat> this type of work needs to really focus on it is because there's this idea that equity and inclusion and diversity is a trend and it just is not. It just is not. So I would encourage anyone. I mean, everybody can, you, you can always reach out to me. Um, I would be glad. I would love to engage people in this um, and point them to sources, um, um, point them to sources are doing similar work, agencies, groups, et cetera. Yeah. Awesome. And, and I mentioned in our, the very beginning that you also worked for Friends of Hopewell Valley Open Space. Um is this your only role with them, or do you do other things with them as well? Well, the, uh, the Friends of Hopewell Valley Open Space, uh, that is our fiscal sponsor. Gotcha. What they do okay. is they help, you know, we're on our way to becoming a, a 501c3, but that's it's awesome. kind of like, you know, that's mommy and daddy right now. Mm -hmm. So they're walking with us, um, and it's it's a, re it's a great relationship, uh, lots of great, again, uh, Lisa Wolf and, and Dan Rubenstein, Ryan Kennedy, and some of the other trustees uh, really support the work that we do there and are very encouraging. Um, and so we share an office space with them. We are looking to have um, both a space that's in an urban area or inner city area, as well as a space out uh, out in where it's a little where there's out out in, in the uh, wider environment because we love to have a place. Um, to have events at, to have conferences at. We'd also like to do that in a more urban space. Um, part of the work that we're doing um, in, we're in Cadwalder Park is addressing the idea of how do we create green spaces with native plants. Our, our interns planted a bunch of those this year in Cadwalder Park. How can we create a park um, that's designed for the people of that residence, around of that community, around um, you know, around cement and all and all of that kind of thing, using native plants, uh, looking at what uh, what it would mean to kind of you know work in your own garden and author that yourself. You were talking about uh, the community around Enhauser Bush, and that's exactly what it means um, to have people involved with stuff. You get people with their hands in the soil they're going to feel very differently about where they, they live. Awesome. Yeah. So personally for you, I know we talked about a lot of the organization you work with and, and the work mm -hmm. you do. What inspires you in nature? What what personally draws you to working with nature and, and what it means to you? Well, I mean, I think it's probably uh, the reality for me um, is just that I I didn't know um, the stuff that I talk about now, I didn't know. No one took me by the hand and explained this to me. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the 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 responsibility I, I have and the the passion that I I have now is really an outgrowth of of really honestly working with the diversity culture, working in that, and realizing what is the common thread that brings us all together, and what is my voice. How, what does my voice sound like in the midst of all this? What is there for me in this? Um, and when I saw a lot of things started changing, start you know moving and changing, you hear the the ongoing frustration. Um, and I was like, whoa, what what can we do? What does this mean? 
um, to be involved? What, what does it mean to be in the environment? And when I saw the disparity of the experiences that I had, when I was a kid, my mother took us to every, oh, we went to Grand Canyon and Yosemite and Yellowstone and all of these things. And I, of course, I didn't appreciate it then. But when I realized how much these experiences weren't had by people who looked like me, I was like, wow, really? And then I realized how precious, how special that was. And I realized what a difference that had made in my life and how it manifested when, as I got older. This is a very yeah. introspective episode for me. <laughs> yeah, we're all going to have tea now. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm just looking for – at the times, uh, and no, and no, I, no. I I feel that we should probably get to our final question, which is this most simple and most difficult at the same time, which is what is your favorite native plant? Oh boy, um, <laughs> <laughs> I am gonna say it is the common violet. I'm gonna oh. say it's the common. That's what I'm gonna say. Um, I would see these, I know they grow up where they, they tend to grow where it's a little wet and a little marshy and things like that. Well, that is a one area in my front yard for sure. And I used to see these beautiful little flowers pop up and I was like, we didn't plant anything like that. My mom ever planted. And they would come up in this year. I don't know. I don't know what happened, but they were everywhere. And seeing that, that, that beautiful little flower in the midst of the nasty, ugly crab grass and stuff in that my that is my lawn, it was just beautiful. I I didn't realize that's we we just had this conversation what a couple episodes ago where I didn't realize that was edible. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's it's uh Apparently. yeah. It was what was the conversation like? How many state plants are edible? Uh, I don't rem- I don't remember the conversation, but I do know it's edible. Okay, and, and um. I've seen it as like a salad garnish. Yeah. And then uh, yeah. I've yeah. seen people use it to make like a, a simple syrup. And it's a beautiful Ooh. shade. Like the flower is mm. a beautiful color, but then the simple syrup turns like a beautiful shade and you can yeah. like uh, add it to like lemonade and or, or a cocktail, I guess. And uh, awesome. We had some violet really lemonade. It was good. Flower. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great choice. I don't, and I don't, I don't think anyone else has picked that. I don't one. think Eventually so our list of whatever <laughs> is picked for there will, will be coming out. Yes. Um, right. <laughs> so this is the point in the, the podcast where we kind of hand the floor to you. It's it's uh, We call it the final thought, and we'll each take a turn doing mm-hmm. this. But we allow you to go first, and um, you get to use the floor however you'd like to use it. You can summarize, pitch something, uh, use it however you want, but the floor is yours. Wow. Um, no pressure. <laughs> um, well, I hope that if anybody takes anything uh, from this conversation, I hope that you um, come to realize the importance of every voice in this particular issue, uh, every past, every history, uh, and use it as a means to propel us forward. Um, the, the ideals of equity and justice and, justice and diversity and, and inclusion um, are definitely not wasted on me. And I think if we take a good long look at one another and each other, um, that the things that are happening and that need to happen in the environmental world, and if we work towards that, will certainly happen and will have far-reaching effects in other parts of our society. So I encourage you, um, reach a little further, reach a little deeper, ask some questions, 
work through the discomfort. And I think we've got amazing things ahead of us. And support the OEA. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Tom, would you like to go? Or I'll, I'll let you go first. Okay. So, you know, I, I've been sitting here this whole episode basically pointing a finger at myself saying, have I done enough? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good question to ask yourself. It's a question you have to ask yourself. Um, and no, I haven't done enough. And But this is a question that's going to remain in the, the back of my head and – and I'm working towards that. So if, if there's ever anything that I can do or we can do to help you, uh, please reach out, and we are there for you. Yeah, I like that, Fran. Thank you. So mine will be, I guess, a little bit simpler, and it's something we've said since we started the podcast is that the outdoors should be for everyone, and unfortunately it hasn't been. And uh, and it's I guess it's sad because you have a limited amount of voices that go into that space. And it really should be everyone's voice should be heard because everyone has a different perspective on why that place is important. So um, it's something that I think, Fran, you said it. You're challenging yourself. I've been challenging myself. It's a, a very difficult uh, conversation to have. Uh, Renat, I really liked your example of going into, like, the Mexican supermarket or the Indian yeah. supermarket and just asking questions. Because I've been in those places, and you're looking at the ingredients, and I'm like, I have, this is a cactus. What am I going to do with this? <laughs> right, right. And there's so many things that, well, it's, there's a bunch of them there for a reason because people are buying them and cooking with them. But mm-hmm. um, So that's something I'm going to try out, and I know just the person to ask because she works here. <laughs> well, so. I, I can't tell you how many times I've gone in mm-hmm. to like a produce junction with Agatha yeah. and looked at certain things going, I don't even know what to do with that. Like yeah. how do you – how do you? Pro- mm-hmm. I'm not sure like – how you eat this, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, yeah. and I, you know what? I never asked the, never asked yeah. the question, yeah. never asked a question, just kind of walked away and was like, okay, yeah. And that, that's got to change. That's definitely got to change. So yeah, that's a, that's a, I think a really good and fairly easy place for, for a lot of people to start. So I agree. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to Renata Barnes for more information. Uh, visit their website, uh, which is the Outdoor Equity Alliance, and that website is uh, outdoorequalliance.org. Um, yeah. Soon to be updated, so yes. there's going to yeah. be a lot of stuff on there. <laughs> it looks pretty good as is, I have to, no, no, <laughs> have to admit. We so, got plans. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pinelands Nursery. Uh, we're giving a big thank you to the Egocentric Plastic Men for contributing our theme music. Make sure you uh, – oh, wow, I can't talk. Make sure you stream or buy their uh, music wherever you consume music. If you want to see them live, live music is back. So uh, make sure you check them out in, in and around the Philadelphia area. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery, and also YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, don't forget about the question and answer line or question and comment line. Call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask a question or leave a comment. Uh, When we play it on a future episode of The Buzz, we will answer it to the best of our ability. And if we don't know the answer, we'll find someone who does. Uh, And keep going over at the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. That community just keeps getting larger and and. Uh, I'm, like I, I say it almost every week, I can't be more proud of how polite everyone is on this group, uh, and the, the questions and the answers have been wonderful. Yeah, so you can listen to Native Plants Healthy Plant directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplant.com. Uh, you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, um, so do so there as well. If at all possible, leave a five-star review 
on that uh, on your podcast platform of choice. And if you do a little write up with that review, then I'll give you a shout out on our buzz episodes, and it enters you to win a flat of, of pollinator herbaceous pollinator plants. Yes. So we're going to try and make it region specific. Uh, we're growing them from seed from here in, on the the east coast. Um, but say the winter ends up being from the Midwest, we're going to try and choose plants that are native there, there as well. We're not going to not be just the correct send you whatever, type, whatever but, we yeah. want, um, but we're going to put something together for your your area. So um, you can also buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, there's a banner right at the top. You click that. It takes you to our Teespring store. And like Fran mentioned earlier, this podcast of the profits are going to organizations that we feel are really doing a good job of promoting uh, nature and the outdoors and native plants. So right now the current recipient is uh, Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve. And um and I forget what the cutoff date was, friend. Or I guess Alyssa Lewis is going to have to remind. Yeah, <laughs> remind it was us, sometime it's like mid July. Yep. But I, I figure let's let it go to the beginning of August. Yep. So uh, any sales that come in till that point, other than the ones that are for specific organizations on the general shirts, are going to go to them. And, um, yeah, so with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Uh, real quick question, Renata. Can our listeners, if they wanted to make a donation, can they do that through your website? Absolutely. There's awesome. um, Absolutely. There's a button there that says make a donation. Um, oh, I so see it please, right here. Yeah. <laughs> please, if you, if you guys want to support what we're doing, and we would love that support, um, please go ahead and click that. If you've got questions, you can reach me at R Barnes, like Barnes and Noble at njoea.org. Awesome. And money's great and your your time is even better. So if you can uh, yes. come out and be a part of it, that's that's just yes. as good. Um, so, yes. so thank you again, everyone. Renata, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, anytime. Anytime. Next week uh, coming up, we have a buzz uh, episode, so make sure you tune in for that. But until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.